Welcome to this week's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Today, Onur and I will be talking to a special guest, uh, Riku Basinen. Riku is a managing partner at Ogilvy Africa at the moment. Um, he has spent the last 15 years around the world working across Europe, Asia, and Africa, and has published a couple of books, um, typically around digital strategy and things like that. Um, he's also a speaker. And he calls his best virtue, besides his looks, to be his humbleness. So we're excited to be talking to Riku today and getting his perspective on strategy uh, from his experiences around the world. Welcome, Riku. Thank you. I, I see that you, your background work is consisting of LinkedIn. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. Uh, that's absolutely correct. Your introduction is is directly from your LinkedIn intro. Yeah. Yes. It sounds like Riku is joining us from a jungle. I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm outside because this is the joy of remote working. That um, and if if you have small baby as well, sleeping and couple of people working at the same time, so this is the only somewhat peaceful place to have a conversation about strategy. And of course, because strategy talk quite often might get heated, so, and uh, I don't have the quietest of the voice so so it's better to be outside to talk about strategy right so strategy i know rico you've worked uh, quite a lot with big brands and smaller companies from around the world you're a big advocate of all things digital i think it would be good to first kind of talk about your perspective on strategy especially when it comes to smaller companies what do you think the biggest value of having a thoughtful strategy is for early stage businesses yeah, I think for me, the problem quite often is that strategy as a word has a little bit bad rep because overall, when people talk about strategy, it's quite often it's something like a very templated, fluffy thing. You have your vision, often it starts with, we will be the best or leading or whatever. Then there's the mission which is then very high-sounding, politically correct statement of the purpose of the org. Then you have your values, which are your company's so-called values, but usually very non-controversial, also politically correct. And then you have strategies, which are not really strategies, but some of aspirations or goals. And while actually it's important, like all the great companies have good vision, mission, values, and strategies, but quite often it's it's quite fluff. For me, strategy, I have actually done a little bit preparation. I wanted to uh, compile like three best definitions of strategy that I could think of. And, and the first one to me is strategy is a judgment of situation and best path forward. So essentially, as a startup, usually your why you're in the market, you're somehow solving a problem that exists or exploiting an opportunity that is there. And I hope that the police is not out there to get me if you hear it on the background. And then it's the best path forward, which is then like, okay, we are exploiting this situation. Let's say COVID, for example, no one is traveling, everyone is remote working. We are having new video conferencing startup for example and the best path forward would be to do this and this and this other thing which is to me is very important with strategies that it's about and and this is quote from roger martin 
that the very essence of strategy is explicit purposeful choice. Strategy is saying explicitly, proactively, we are going to do these things and not those things for these reasons. And you only know that you've made a real strategic choice if you can say the opposite of what that choice is and it's not stupid. So that's why it's never a strategy to be consumer-centric company because the opposite of that is stupid. Or, or in a way, if we are going to be the leading advertising agency and opposite of that, <laughs> you, you would be the losing advertising agency. So to me, it, it's like, and of course, strategy as overall, it, it comes more from the military point of view. But, but therefore, I, I think all the great companies have a great strategy. Have they even called it a strategy? That's not necessary a case but you have like the judgment of the situation and then best path forward and we can talk about like maybe some of the frameworks or what i use it later on but that's how i see it so that's why for st- startups actually strategy is everything of course you can be more agile and probably you're changing also you have your guiding policy which changes it might be like if these things happens we are actually pivoting but still, you have a strategy which is based on this is analysis of the situation. We are fixing this problem or exploiting this opportunity. Essentially, we'll make your diagnosis about that. And then you have your guiding policy, so to speak. And, and then you start executing it. And then comes the goals and, and all of that. So that's my view of, I think, all the great companies, whether they're startups or whether they're big companies, they have a great strategy. Actually, big companies can just cruise along because they might have have it handy because they might be the incumbent. They, they might have built certain leverages that are hard to exploit at the moment. But as you mentioned, I have been advocate for digital. Digital, of course, has being shown to be able to disrupt things like of course you we all have talked about like e-commerce nowadays and all of that so i i think it's not good strategy for a long to just stay low and and think that status quo will remain because it will most likely will not well there's a lot to unpack here and uh, <laughs> i really like your point especially around not having a stupid counterpoint to your strategy. But one thing that I really want to ask, you mentioned for startups, strategy is everything. And one of the key things that we have been discussing is when. So to elaborate on this a little bit, is usually at the beginning of their journeys, startups are either in search of a problem or in search of a solution to a problem. And when we talk about strategy, we usually think about having deliberate set of choices or like you mentioned a judgment of the situation is and making a deliberate decision on what's the best path forward Mm. at what stage of a startup's life cycle do you think sitting down and taking the time to carve out a strategy becomes more important or is there such a point or is it a day one what's your opinion on this well to me it's day one but of course the level of it, like I wouldn't start necessary. And, and if, if I start to think about like maybe more specific part of strategy, like brand strategy, 
maybe maybe that's not your day one thing, but it should be on on your roadmap. And of course, as a believer of brands, quite often to me it might be that your brand might come first. For example, if you don't have a problem and you don't have solution to a problem, I don't think you yet have a startup. You might have aspiration to have a startup, but I think if you don't really have the problem or solution to a problem, then what what do you have in a way? And strategy doesn't need to mean like week-long strategy workshops or, or something like that, but it could be the guiding principles. And this morning I was reading an article, an interview from Sir Martin Sorel, and he was explaining how he started S4 Capital. He was explaining that it started from like three main priorities, which was essentially the strategy, which was production, programmatic media and data. And of course, it's exploiting and solving certain problems. But how he started to set up S4 Capital, it was like, in, in that sense, it's quite simple starting point. And I think startups could think about it from, from that point on, because good strategy is quite simple. And in hindsight, it might even seem obvious. Like right now, like Amazon's strategy might might right now seem relatively obvious but of course it wasn't obvious back then and it took quite long for them to succeed as well yeah that's interesting you mentioned earlier about frameworks and formats and i think the s4 capital or s4 example is a good one you know often strategies become obvious later on but if we go um into the frameworks just for just a little while hmm. um, you, you spoke about strategy not having to be week-long strategy workshops and outcomes and things like that. And often when yeah. startups are focusing on their product and things like that, what does strategy look like then? Sort of tangible examples of a strategy. Like, is it a document? What are the different components yeah. um, that you can bring together? I know you've spoken a little bit about that already. Yeah, so so how I see it is, I, I see it in four steps, essentially how the work happens. And I, I maybe focus more on the third part, which to me is the most important. So so there's, of course, and because I'm a marketer, I have like this all start with A. So because that's what we do as marketers. We always, when we have a framework, it needs to start with rhyming. Uh, 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 writing <laughs> first letters. So, so, but I think the main thing it's it's start with absorbing, and and you can find similar model. And I think the episode, um, the name of this episode, is good strategy, bad strategy. So actually, in that book, there is three part. I have divided it to four parts, but essentially it, it mirrors that one a little bit. So I think it first starts from absorb. So absorbing everything like all the small like weak signals or big signal what is happening on the world and then you do the analysis and and in actually in that book they talk about diagnosis and uh, in that book they talked about that good diagnosis is often using metaphors analogies or existing accepted framework to make it really simple and understandable like this is the problem right now so you have diagnosis, which is essentially what you're solving for. Like, this is the problem in the world, or this is the challenge in the world, and, and this is how... And, and then you have the attitude. And, and this is almost like, because if... And I think in many ways, analysis has become democratized. There is not so... Like, 
I give you an example of stock market, for example. Nowadays, it's it's harder to someone to have insider information, so to speak. Of course, if you're not really insider, so because it's like there's more and more data in, in that sense. So so I think analysis part so is relatively democratized. So so there might be five startups who have similar problem statements, but what makes the difference is that attitude. How you are solving that problem. And in that good strategy, bad strategy book, they call this guiding policy. And that's essentially something that, yes, it can be a document, but better than that, it's almost something that everyone knows heart by heart. Like when these things happen, this is how we act. And in that one, I, I would use analogy of, of war, like essentially your guiding policy in, in war is like your all the actions are pretty much premeditated. Like if opponent gets to this level, then we retreat. Or if we get to this line, we attack and all of that. And that's the guiding policy for that one. Of course, the main thing and which is the most hardest part is then the execution or action in, in my framework, which is then and then these actions should be like coherent, how you're using your resources, policies, and how, how you're doing it. And of course, there you might have like a right problem statement. You might have right guiding policy, but then you might not have the right people to do it. So then it doesn't make, so then you cannot do the right action. So, so for me, it's, it's really the four-step model. Absorb, analyze, attitude, and action. And essentially based on all, all that, everything fall, falls there. So to me, this can actually be like two pages max. Action plan can be a bigger. It might, when it comes to action plan, it might be an Excel sheet or depending on what you're doing, it, it might be some kind of project management tool. But essentially like diagnosis, the main, the gist of it is a couple of sentences. Of course, there's lots of background information. Guiding policy should probably be 10, like one pager, so to speak. And of course, there's like lots of background. I'm not trivializing that there's no not a lot of work, but as I think it was Winston Churchill who said, who started one letter, sorry, I'm in a rush. I cannot write a shorter letter. So of course, being able to condense the problem you're solving or being able to condense like this is how we are working it actually takes a time and that's why i feel that strategy in many ways i believe that you need to write it down because one of my bugbears is nowadays some some people say that we don't really have strategy we are agile or our strategy is to be agile and in that way i believe in that you need to adjust but you also need to have certain beliefs certain guiding policy of what you're doing because if you're just reacting then you're just moving to one place then something else happens you're moving to one place so that's why i, I think the hardest part is really find that guiding policy that people really understand and follow and do the actions based on that and that's essentially then then the attitude part so a very short question and then very long answer which wasn't probably even answered to your question but that 
that's how I see it. So I, I think it depends a little bit. Like nowadays, it's uh, you use the tools what you have. So nowadays, strategies are PowerPoint templates, but previously they might have been memos or or things like that. I, I think the format is secondary, but to me, it, it needs to be something that people can understand, especially in startup, because you don't have everyone, especially if you're a really early stage startup, everyone is a key player. So then everyone needs to understand what your strategy is, what's your analysis of the situation, what's your guiding policy and what actions you are doing, because then it also gives uh, the justification for the actions you're doing. Otherwise, you're just doing. And in many ways, it has been successful for some, in a way, just throwing things at the wall and see how it sticks. But even that one, you can have strategic rigor. Like you can have like, okay, we are working with pilots. We do 10 pilots. This is, if they are not successful in three months, we scrap them and all of that. So even if you're, you can be agile, you can utilize design thinking and all of these things and still be strategic. So looking at that model, right, you have the four steps in there. Um, assuming that you've done your absorbing and your analysis and everything right, and you've got a really you know, good problem you're solving and your, your attitude is, is right. We've spoken a lot about memorable statement. What do you think is value or how important is it to create whatever format you're creating in, in a way that's memorable? Um, when you're stating your your attitude? I think it's very Im- important because it becomes almost like, to me, strategy. And in that lofty version, it usually has vision, mission, values, and strategies. And to me, every part of this should be uplifting, uh, but true as as well. So I, I think it's it's because... If your goal is, so I saw this quite good example of like brand purpose, like how high should your brand purpose be? And uh, essentially, this is for a car wash. So if your brand purpose, for example, is the seller's seller, so it's, it's too low, then your purpose is to wash cars for money, for example. So it's good in that way that it tells what you're doing. But is it uplifting? Is it memorable? Or if it anything? Or you sometimes you might be too high. Like you say, like, okay, our purpose is in the stratosphere. And then... Making the world a better the, place. Yeah, yeah. Or to cleanse the spirit of humankind. So that's too high. So in that sense, because that, again, doesn't tell what you're doing as well. And then what you would need to find is that reasonable reads. And in this example from humanhalf.com, that something good could be like to get drivers taking pride in their vehicles, for example. So essentially you're actually turning, it's, it's good in that way that you're turning actually your focus to your customer in that sense. And it's actually enhancing their sense of pride in, in their vehicles, for example. This is a car wash, but I think it illustrates a good point. Like Because no one is inspired of something like our company's goal is to make money and be rich. I don't think there is any... Maybe there is some startup like Fire Festival, which has been <laughs> motivated by, by only that. And then there's lots of these lofty statements as well. So, so finding that sweet spot, and which, which is memorable, I think it's important 
I want to challenge that a little bit. I mean, I understand that nobody is inspired by functional pragmatic statements such as we want to wash cars and make money. But as a consumer, do you really care? I mean, you have a problem to solve and that's a dirty car. And at that point, whoever washes your car, fast, convenient and affordable, you'll go for that. So I probably couldn't care less about what the higher purpose of that car wash company is. And if while doing all of that stuff, if they're also contributing to environmental causes, that's great. I, I will take that. But I mean, otherwise, yep. I'm selfish and indulgent and I don't really care, honestly. So I'm questioning the premise behind the whole brand purpose here. I think I actually use this example more for internal use. Like if, if you, you say to your, let's say you have a car wash and you, uh, you are a new employee there and, and then you say, okay, we just wash car for money. Just let's do it. So in that sense, I think it's this functional way. Like if you don't have purpose as a company, it's harder to attract new millennial talent as well. A new um, millennial was coming. Of course, some might argue, do you even want them snowflakes in your company? Uh, but I think it's it's because to me, the problem is if your strategy is so lofty or so uninspiring, how good is your company? Like what attracts you to it? And, and I think because at the end of the day, there are no companies that have good strategies and are not successful because then it hasn't been good strategy in in a first place. That's why I, I think, uh, yeah, the friend purpose pit is is a slightly different conversation altogether. I'm I'm not huge fan of like, especially like when you start adding purpose outside your like if your company is not really walking the walk or talking to talk, then quite often the brand purpose. Like, I think good example was Chilet. Like, they did this whole emotional ad against toxic masculinity. And meanwhile, they were selling female racers at much more higher cost. So, so there, your company's purpose was actually quite at odds, what you were communicating. Uh, but at still, like, if you would, like, if you would go to car wash, some parts of your decisions are rational and some part of it is emotional. And I think that's the whole thinking why brand is important. And it's the whole understanding that people are not behaving the most rationally in, in that sense. And, and that's actually like if it's, it's not rational to buy Apple, you could make rational arguments for it. And every time I have worked with car industry, that's their like their never rational decisions. When especially, and and this is quite often male who are buying the car, they do lots of rational arguments. But if you really dig deep down to it, that's why all the car models are named like focus and charisma. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, it, and it, because it's part of your identity, and I think that's part of. Something that maybe many startups forget, maybe because they are quite often tech-driven and quite often tech people are maybe more rational in that sense than, or they have certain quite logical train of thought. 
and that's why the whole conversation like why Apple is so successful, they their technology is not as good. But it's the combination of things. And and I, I think the that's maybe something that startups often like. They might have actually the right solution to something, but it's maybe too rational and it lacks the magic altogether. So I think uh, the purpose and that strategy is uplifting. It's it's first and foremost important to your workers because if you're not excited to work in the company and your people are not excited to work, it you're most likely your consumers are not excited to do any business with you or buy your products unless you're really cheap. And and being a really cheap, it's also a strategy. And and quite often, if that's your strategy, then you should be communicating about it and not tiptoeing about we are about value or something like that. Those brands who have been really bold in saying like, we are cheap ones, they actually have succeeded very well. And they have actually then really clear cut strategy and guiding policy. Ryanair comes to mind. Yeah, Ryanair. So so all the things like, I, I think the one of the best ones was that they said that going to the toilet would cost money. But that's part of marketing, but that's part of guiding policy. So they're looking every single thing where they could save money. Other example is IKEA, where the owner, Kamprad, actually, he was asked to open a new store somewhere and, and he had to cut the ribbon. He got the ribbon and then he tied it back on because he didn't want to waste ribbon. And and those and, and actually these stories are then told again and, and that's what is meant by that you should use metaphors and, and things that are easy to absorb starting from your problem statement but going to your guiding policy because those things are like that story about Ingmar Kamprad cutting the ribbon and then tying it back together, it's told so many times in IKEA. It's told many times outside. And it talks about their guiding policy, which is to be value brand. Of course, IKEA has, after that, gone beyond just being a cheap furniture manufacturer. But but during that time, it was a story and guiding policy that, that really directs how, how the company behaves and, and how, how consumers are seeing it. Yeah, I, I think also if you have a strong strategy and if you have good guiding policies or attitudes, as you've called them, they should guide a lot of your decisions as a company, not just marketing, but hiring, acquisitions, everything, right? So from a business and marketing and brand perspective, good guiding policies do create a decision-making matrix, if you will, for the whole company. Because if you're a value brand versus a values brand, for example, you might be making very different decisions on your supply chain and on your choice of marketing channel and all that kind of stuff, right? One thing I wanted to pick up on, though, one thing that you mentioned, because it's related to this, and you spoke about this very early on in this episode, you spoke about a lot of strategies being non-controversial and fluff, per se. Do you actually think that good guiding policies or good strategies have to be controversial to be effective? Uh, not necessarily controversial, but it needs to gather some emotion. And it's said that there's no joke, good joke in, in a world which doesn't offend someone. So I, I think controversial is maybe wrong word but i i think if if your values are like i mean you could pretty much put lots of 
even very successful firms and put their vision, mission, values and strategies uh, side by side. They all look the same. But then if you drill a little bit deeper to it, there's the reality of, of that organization behind it. And, and that's, I think the problem is, is more so that people are not focused enough. And, and when you're focused enough, you might even upset some of people who are not your target audience. For, for example. And therefore, I, I think we've talked about the value brands and then premium brands before. The problem is many brands and companies fell in the middle. And when you're in the middle, you're a little bit of everything. We're, we're not the cheapest, but, but we are not the best and, and all of that. And, and then it becomes uh, quite fluffy. And uh, it's not necessarily controversial, but at least it would need to be memorable and, and different. And because you know lots of companies who are quite cutthroat, and that's part of their ethos. Then there's lots of companies that are collaborative. But if you look their values sometimes, that's not there. And actually, for, for some people, it might help that, yeah, we are really competitive in everything we do. And therefore, for example, when you recruit a new talent, you need to be a competitive person because this is how we are rolling in, in that sense. And I think that's all of it. Like when you take a stand for something and do that deliberate choice, there is a risk that you might offend someone, but it's you don't need to strive for controversy but there might be certain controversy that comes there because otherwise it's like if you go to a big company for example and you talk with the people how many of excluding the top leadership have even read your strategy document how many know actually vision by heart or mission by heart or anything like that and that's i i think that's can be quite telling there so it doesn't need to be controversial but it needs to be memorable and you need to take a stand to some side like i'm this thing and these things we're not uh thank you very much riku i'll i'll just recap our conversation so far so we talked a little bit about uh, what a strategy is talk about it's a judgment of the situation a deliberate set of decisions that you are making and that entails what you are choosing to do but also choosing what not to do we talked your brilliant framework that includes four a's which is absorbing the situation coming up with an analysis forming your attitudes and then having an action plan we also talk about an ideal format, uh, briefly, nothing longer than two pages, which summarizes and captures everything that includes, ideally, a summary of the action plan moving forward as well. There's one last burning question I have, and since you quoted Winston Churchill, I'm going to quote Mike Tyson here. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And for most startups, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. A starting point is our strategy is being agile and being reacting to the situation. So if as a startup founder, I'm always in the mindset of saving the day and figuring out where my next revenue is going to come from next month and chasing customers, how do I convince myself that strategy is going to make me better off in the longer term as opposed to fighting with what I have to do right now? 
Yeah, and I think every single one of us is fighting. Uh, <laughs> like lots of our day jobs are fighting. But then the question is also, like, are, are you focusing on the right things as well if you don't really have time to think about, like, what, what your company release and what, what it is doing? Uh, but I think, as I mentioned earlier, agility and strategy are not in odds. You can have guiding policy and that attitude towards that agility as, as well. It's more of like, then maybe like, okay, now we are jumping in this opportunity. This is the time frame we are doing. These are the things we are testing out. If they are not successful, then we are finding something else. And I think it's, to me, if it's just like you're throwing things at the wall, see what it sticks, and then you jump into every single opportunity without that guiding policy. And I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong on doing that, but at least you would have like, there is, even for those companies that have pivoted many times, there was the guiding policy be, behind it. Like, for example, if like a, former startup and nowadays one of the most powerful companies in the world like Facebook has pivoted many times but there you can see that guiding policy as well about like what the company has been about I thought it was rating hot people on the app that's how they start yeah well and and in 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 some cases it, it still is that that one as as well and I I think that was the part that started to get get it to spread but uh but to to me it's it's like strategy there's some things and and i i think that comes to especially the values part you cannot change your values to be agile like if if your values is to be something you just because you're agile you're not changing your values on the other hand if you're seeing like okay the business with our initial analysis was wrong, it would be stupid to just stay on, on that track. So uh, I, I think it's like those steps of absorbing, analyzing, uh, having the right attitude and having the right actions. It's more of a loop than when you have done the actions, then it goes. Because of course, situations change and, and there's things that you can handle and things that you cannot handle like COVID-19. So to me, it's, it's very lazy approach to talk about that. Yeah, we are agile. So that's why we don't have strategy or our strategy is to be agile. But then the question is how you're agile and and why you're agile and, and wh wh why you're doing these things. But of course, it's like the success can come from, from many places. It might be that you might start from technology and then you're just finding opportunities of where that technology could help or you, you have identified a problem and, and there's no technology yet yet to find it. But, uh, but still, I, I think that strategy and... and at least having, and I, I love that Mike Tyson quote in that sense, because that's what life is. There is always something happening and always something going wrong. And you need to adjust to that situation. But that doesn't mean that you're changing your whole approach. This almost goes back to Stoic philosophy in that sense that your philosophy doesn't change even though you're like facing setbacks or you're facing successes. And that's why I, I think in many cases, the guiding po policy, it's not necessarily set in stone that you're never 
going to tweak it, but it's more of like you're not changing your values. It's almost like a, it's a question of if your values and, and your purpose doesn't really guide you, what, what, what do you have? And, and that's as a company and, and as a person as well. And went we to a really deep, actually, with this <laughs> answer in that sense. But I, I think it's important because you're probably, even though you have pivoted and uh, come up with new business plan like 10 times, probably the original premises of why you set up the startup in the first place have not changed in, in that sense. And I, I think that is what constitutes then your guiding policy. Thank you very much, Riku. We've had the pleasure of having Riku join all the way from Nairobi in Kenya with us today. And I think it is a great notion to end with. I think the, the main takeaway for a lot of the startup founders or startup members of startup staff from, from today's session really is using this framework to, to really find those guiding policies or that guiding policy that really is going to help with a whole host of different decisions as a company and then really putting, putting those things into action. And I think the, the other thing that I would, I would leave with before we wrap up is, is that notion of agility and strategy are not at odds, actually. So if you have a good strategy, if you have good guiding principles, you can still act with agility. But staying true to those guiding policies is really going to be the thing that makes a difference for, for company success in the future. Yeah, and, and I, I think if, if I may wrap up to that and what we discussed earlier in, in this episode about brand, and actually my point of view, it's almost like if you have done your diagnosis right, you have the right attitude and the right guiding policy, your brand almost comes automatically. You just almost like creatively articulated at that creative leap slash magic. But if, if your guiding policies, your values, your whole purpose is in right place, it's actually relatively easy to start creating your brand. It's much more challenging when you don't have those things in place and then it becomes a little bit like you're decorating shit with cream. Uh, because then your core tenants are not there. So, so I, I think it's it's like if if you have that right strategy and and in place, it makes all the other things much easier as well. It doesn't make your life easier because sticking to your strategy and your guiding policies also means that you may need to make sacrifices, and there might be you might need to say no to lucrative opportunity as well because you might see that this is not right for our company to do right now as as well and so in in that sense strategy in, in many ways it's it's sacrificing like you're you're going to one way and that's true in anything you you either go right or you go left you can go back but you cannot go right and left at the same time yeah absolutely it's it's just as much about what we are going to do as it is about what we're not going to do and making those tough choices. It's been a pleasure today, Riku. I really appreciate your time today, Honor. Um, a pleasure as always. And thank you for all of the listeners today. We will post some of these notions in our show notes and also some links to Riku's work in the past. So please check it out. And thank you very much for listening today. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us out, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 